Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Daniel 11, you've been standing for a while. I'm sorry, but I'll stay longer than you do. Daniel 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse number 1. And we looked at this last time, but I just included it in my scripture reading. Also, I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I, stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I shew thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. And the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. All right, tonight I've called this, and this is a 16A because I'm not getting all the way through the chapter tonight. So there'll be a 16B. But uh, tonight I'm just called it Conflicts of the North and the South. In our American history, we had the grand conflicts of the North and the South. Well, over in the Middle East, they had their conflicts of the North and the South. And that is largely what chapter 11 uh, deals with by and large let's pray this evening that the Lord would help us Father I pray that that same spirit that we have felt in this place that same spirit Lord Jesus that Lord pushed its way in here by means of gifts of tongues and interpretation God would come right now Lord through the teaching of your word I know God a lot of this Lord is historical to us but I pray God bring the reality of it being prophecy to Daniel and help us God leave this place just with a sense of awe and a sense of bewilderment about your omniscience your all-knowingness God and how 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 true and just just how true and right and certain God that you are that there is no variableness of turning no no shadow Lord Jesus of turning in you I pray God tonight you're able to help us God here this evening the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what chapter 11 does, it, it kind of bears out what chapter number 10 spoke to us about the opening verses. If you remember, chapter 10 spoke about this vision, or Daniel did that one thing for certain. He said the time appointed was long, which we learned the interpretation to mean basically that the conflict or the war uh, between these differing parties was going to be long. And chapter 11 uh, is the unfolding, if you will, of that statement being true because there is a long conflict between what is known as the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, I believe that no doubt inspired word is written and calls it the king of the north and the king of the south because there are going to be various individuals and people that fulfill that office of being the king of the north and the king of the south. And so uh, rather than mention each of them by name, uh, probably just did well that it was king of the north and king of the south as these people would rise and fall uh, in those particular uh, positions. And so throughout chapter 11, there is constant battles and constant fighting between uh, the north and the south. And when we talk about the king of the north and the south, it's north and south relative to Daniel's people. And again, Daniel's people are the Jews. It's relative to their country, their country being the nation of Israel. So where we talk about the king of the north, we're talking about the, the one who is north of Israel. And we talk about the king of the south, we're talking about the one that is south of Israel. All right? And again, this just confirms what, what this happens, what we read here, our history just confirms once again, might I say, once again, uh, the divine inspiration of the word of God, of scripture uh, itself. And so we're going to be going along here this evening. Some of the things we're going to talk about, you're going to remember. Uh, you're going you're gonna to recall to mind, hey, I think we may have talked about that before. And hopefully we'll just fill in just a, a few more blanks, a few more details uh, concerning our history that was before it was ever history, prophecy. But something interesting about this chapter compared to some of the other visions, uh, we're not dealing with wild beast we're not dealing with domesticated animals and all the symbols it is written in a little bit more plain language it's talking about real people <laughs> all right and we're not having to decipher that through through symbols and so let's let's look at a verse by verse approach again last week i kind of already hit on verse number one and what we're hearing here is the voice and the speaking of the angel that came to daniel which some by the way we said uh tend to believe was gabriel 
for certain reasons. It may have been Gabriel. It may not have been Gabriel. But nevertheless, there's an angelic visitation. And so in verse number 2, the angel says, And now I will shew thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up three kings in Persia. And the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. If you'll remember back in chapter number 10, whenever it started, it gave us a timeline about where we were. And it said that it was in the third year of the king of the, uh, the third year reign of King Cyrus. And so we're still during that time frame. And so when the angel is speaking to Daniel, it's during the reign of Cyrus, his third year of reign. And that angel says there's going to be three more kings that arise in Persia. Even there's going to be a fourth, and he's going to be richer than all the others. Now, beyond, beyond and I numbered these for you, these happens to be the, the four kings that come after Cyrus. But there will even be other there will even be other rulers after Xerxes here. There will other be others after him. But these are the ones that Scripture denoted right here in God's Word, those particular, those particular four. The first king that was to rule after Cyrus the Great, again, it's the third year of his reign right now while the angel is speaking to Daniel. The first king that is to come after him is the son of Cyrus the Great. Cambyses, that's his name, uh, uh, Cambyses. He, if you look in the scripture, and I, I have resources for this, but Cambyses, Cyrus had another son as well, but Cambyses, in order to ensure that he would be the next one to take the throne, guess what he did? He killed his other brother. He assassinated him so that whenever his father would die, man, make no qualms about it. We know who's going to take the throne room, the only one that's left standing. And that's Cambyses. And so he took the throne room of his father. Now, according to Stephen Haskell in his book, The Story of Daniel and the Prophet, and not just him but others, Cambyses is the Ahasuerus of Ezra, chapter number 4 and verse number 6. You'll read in the Bible of a king by the name of Ahasuerus, and that is this Cambyses. And let me state from the onset, I thought save it till later but you'll find out that among these uh, some of these have like dual names or two names and a lot of times what that is is that there's a hebrew name and a persian name uh, that both of these people go by so again you know the water gets really muddled sometimes whenever you get into this name business of trying to keep track of who is who but but the cambyses uh, is a hazardous of ezra chapter number four and verse number six and in Ezra, in Ezra, this is the word of God now in the scripture there, what has happened, Zerubbabel, we've heard him before, has went back to rebuild the temple there at Jerusalem. And while he is there, there's a group of Samaritans that have been in the area and they come to Zerubbabel and they said, Zerubbabel, uh, why don't you allow us to help build y'all's temple? We'd like to help build the temple. And they told Zerubbabel, they said, we seek your God as you seek your God. And we have made sacrifices to him for a long time now. And uh, we would just really like to help. But Zerubbabel answered to the Samaritans. They're not Jews. They have no bloodline of the Hebrews. He says, hey, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, he basically told them, uh, you all really don't have anything to do with my God. He says, you don't have anything to do with my God at all or our Jewish temple or, or anything like that. And therefore, the Samaritans went to complain to, to what we know as, as Ahasuerus or Cambyses or the historical context. They went to him and complained to him about these Jews not allowing them to help build the temple there at Jerusalem. Well, Cambyses, he, he, I mean, he's a king. He has, you know, he has a busy life. So, you know, he probably is prioritizing of what he should respond back to as well. Well, he's a little too occupied to respond back. So he doesn't take no action against the Jews or Jerusalem. He doesn't act for them and he doesn't act against them concerning them not letting the Samaritans go on and come inside. And so this Cambyses, he, he gets a little hankering, in, if I could say that in southern Illinois, a little hankering in his spirit that he's going to go down to Egypt and he's going to cause a little attack and a war on Egypt. But while he was down away and down there causing a stir among Egypt, an imposter comes in and takes his throne. That imposter is what history calls pseudo-smurdus. Pseudo, of course, thus false smurdus. There's an imposter that comes in to take his throne. And he takes the throne in the name of his deceased brother. His brother that he assassinated, his brother's name was Smurdus. 
And so this imposter comes in in his brother's name, Smyrdas, and he takes the throne while, while Cambyses is out doing war down in Egypt. And so he's not, this man is not the real Smyrdas. He's a fake. He's an imposter. He's false. But he comes now as the second king there in Persia after Cyrus the Great. And Cambyses, as he's coming back from Egypt, his trip back, he learns that this imposter has overtaken his throne. And for whatever reason, historians say differently, that Cambyses, after having learned that, uh, one or two things happened. Uh, that he either committed suicide or that he took his, or that he was involved in some type of accident that took his life. So now, reigning on the throne as number two, just as the Bible said, here is another king, Pseudo-Smyrtus. And Pseudo-Smyrtus is the Artaxerxes in Scripture of Ezra 4.7. Now, there's more than one Artaxerxes in Scripture. But the one that is in Ezra 4, 7, if you notice, that's the very next verse after the Ahasuerus here of 4, 6. Because whenever this Ahasuerus or Cambyses, I'll probably do this all night, go back and forth, so just bear with me, okay? I'm just trying to make sure you understand. But this, this Ahasuerus right here that did nothing, he heard this now, this Artaxerxes heard the same plea. The Jews didn't let us Samaritans help build the temple. They didn't help us get involved in the work that was going on there. Well, this, oh boy, Artaxerxes is, is actually of the Mede bloodline. And so he doesn't care about the Jews. He doesn't care about the temple. He doesn't care about what they're doing. He reigns a very short time. He reigns about seven months. But he hears this complaint, and you know what he does, and you can read of it in Ezra chapter number four, starting around verse 18. Through his command... He commanded them that the Jews stop working on their temple. And that's what started the long pause and there being no work being done on the temple. And they started turning to their own homes and their own houses is because this man right here said, stop the work. It doesn't need to go any further. Well, after, after Osudo Smerdes, after, after he passes off the scene, uh, it's cool to say, and it's Smerdes, amen, there came Darius, now, Darius is in Scripture. He's Darius the Persian, not to be confused with Darius the Mede. Darius the Mede is the one that came and overtook Babylon at the very beginning along with Cyrus the Great. This is Darius the Persian that you can read of in Ezra chapter number 424. Notice I don't have another name over here because in the Bible his name is Darius. Boy, that makes things nice. Amen. So he's Darius in Scripture of Ezra 424. And this Darius is the one that we spoke about, that all that this Darius did was reconfirm everything that Cyrus had said because Cyrus was the one that was prophesied by Isaiah and Jeremiah to give the first decree for the Israelites to go back home to build the temple. All that Darius did after this guy said, stop it, he came back and said and just re-spoke re and reaffirmed everything that Cyrus said, how the people should be able to go back and rebuild their temple temple well Darius as time would allow he dies all right there's life for you he dies and on the scene then comes exorcise comes after Darius dies and exorcise is the Ahasuerus not this one is the Ahasuerus that is spoken of in the book of Esther the book of Esther that that records the act of that king Ahasuerus right there along with the children of Israel that stayed behind uh, in the kingdom of Babylon or in the Medo-Persian Babylon. Now, it is this one that our Bibles tell us in chapter 11 was richer than all, the other, all these other kings. He was richer, and because of his richness, he was able to uh, persuade other individuals to go in battle against Greece. This guy was filthy rich. Folks, if you have ever read Esther and you read the first chapter of Esther, whenever it's speaking about Ahasuerus or Exorcise, he has under his command 127 provinces. Whenever you read chapter 1, it's detailed right in chapter 1. He has a feast for all of the princes and the servants of those 127 provinces. But this is not a one-day heyday. Look at, if you look at the scripture in Esther 1, they had this feast for 180 days now if you're gonna and i don't know how what the number of people that equated to 
But it's people from 127 provinces that are leaders that he had all come to Shushan and they had a party for 180 days. You imagine feeding those people every day? Giving them something to drink every day? I mean, tending to their... This guy is filthy rich. And to add insult to injury after that party was over, listen to me, he then threw a party for everybody that was just in Shushan, their capital. Their every, and he threw a party for them and it lasted for seven days. Now this guy, this, he's a party-holic. This is, this is a party animal right here. This is an Old Testament party animal right here, a hazardous, and he's filthy rich. He'd have a party for 187 days, seemingly, you know, with all kinds of people and food and all that would take. So undoubtedly, he fits the bill well for being the one that's richer than anybody else that was prior to him. And so with his richness, you know how it is. The Bible speaks, and I'm paraphrasing, that whenever you have money, you'll have friends, so-called friends. The Bible tells us that in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes for that matter. And, and so he's able to get people in cohorts with him to go against Greece. They're going to go down there and they're going to make an attack. And he thought he was going to have the upper hand. But little did he understand that he would walk away that day, he and his army, with their tail tucked between their legs. And so rather than conquering Greece, you know what happens whenever you don't win a fight? You just stir up the anger of the one you was trying to fight. <laughs> And that's what happened. Uh, instead of going there and winning, he just really started something that Greece would eventually finish because I believe as a result of this battle, that's what stirred up Greece in their preparations then to come back and take over, as we know through the kingdoms, the Medo-Persian Empire. After them came Greece. And I believe that battle right there with Ahasuerus stirred all of that up. Amen. But each of these kings, we'll note that each of them had some type of connection uh, with the Jews and their work at Jerusalem, by and large, except O Pseudo here. Uh, because this man right here, uh, whenever he came in, whenever the first Ahasuerus came in right there, he, he doesn't respond either for nor against. So he really didn't do anything against the Israelites in, in what they were doing there. Uh, Darius, he comes in and just reaffirms what Cyrus said, go back and build. And Ahasuerus, through him, he's the one that took to his side, Vashti's out, Esther's in, right? But he didn't know in the beginning that Esther was a Jew, her identity was concealed, but she's brought in. But in the moment of time which it counted, when her people were going to be destroyed, she did go on and per se sacrifice her life and went before king and pleaded with him and let her identity be known that she was a Jew. And then he turned around and said, well, what's written is written. That's the way the Medo-Persian law, they're, they're going to be slain on such and such day. But they were able to make another decree because of Esther, Esther's voice, who was a Jew, uh, to defend themselves on the day that they were going to be taken. So, uh, in essence, he helped through a dog leg type of way, uh, helped secure and keep the Jews intact, or they was going to be totally just wiped off the, the face of the earth. So they had some type of connection, if you will, with, uh, with the Jews and with them rebuilding the temple, each of those kings are. And that's one reason why I believe uh, perhaps the Lord put it in his inspired book that it would be those three and even the four. Now, verse number three, the Bible says, and I'm going to read these two verses, and you tell me who it's talking about, all right? Y'all become the teachers. And I'm going to read both verses, and then you tell me. And a mighty king shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And, when, and I might emphasize some words, maybe they help. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity nor according to his dominion which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides those. Does anybody have any idea who this individual might be whose kingdom is broken and divided to the four winds of heaven but it's not given to any of his relatives? Has anybody got any idea? We've talked about this person before. Yeah, he's shaking his head. Can't probably remember his name, but you know that we're talking about. It's the same thing that's depicted in chapter number seven as a leopard that has four heads and the wings of a fowl. It's the same thing that's depicted in Daniel chapter number eight as being the he-goat with a notable horn that then gets broken and in its place grows four horns. You all remember those? That man was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. We're talking about Alexander the Great and the Grecian kingdom right here because again 
Alexander did die prematurely because of his own ignorance of drinking too much and getting a fever and dying. Uh, he died prematurely, only 32 or 33 years of age. That's dying too young. And over a process of several years, if I may just rehash, over the process of several years after his death, there was a lot of fighting back and forth for the dividing of his kingdom until it finally came to his four top generals. Again, Alexander did not have a son that was of ruling age. And so it did not fall to his posterity, to his relatives. It fell to his four top generals. And so it was divided among them. But it denotes right there in Scripture even for us. It was not of his posterity nor according to his dominion which he ruled. In other words, these four were not as powerful as Alexander was by himself. Any one of them in their own right was not as powerful. Uh, they were not according to his dominion. They were not according to his power. And again, this is amazing whenever we think of this through prophecy because at the time this is being prophesied, Greece is nothing more but a very small and relatively insignificant nation. But it's being prophesied as something huge and something big and something powerful verse number five and the king of the south shall be strong this is still concerning alexander's kingdom the king of the south shall be strong and one of his that's alexander's princes and he and that's speaking of the north shall be strong above him that is above the south the north is going to be stronger than the south and have dominion his, that is the north, so you really got to stay with this, the north's dominion shall be a great dominion. Now, Alexander, it's broken. It's broken to his four top generals. Is anybody still writing any of this? Because I noticed some people were writing. If so, I'll leave it up there. If not, I'll erase it. You're fine. Okay, well, I'm just, all right, we'll go. So he had his four top generals, it dwindled down to the four top generals, just in case I need that board. And after it came to the four, over a period of time, it would even reduce down a little further just to two divisions. We have, and I'll get this so I can get these names right, but the four top generals, and you'll remember these because I've said them before, Lysimachus. Man, these are some awesome names. If you're looking for something to name your children someday, Sister Malone. Uh, Cassander. All right. Uh, there is also... Who else do we got? Seleucus. That's a good one, yeah. You could have a right, real nice middle name to go with that. And Ptolemy. I know it, there's a P there, but the P is silent. It's Ptolemy. Ptolemy. These were the four, four top generals that this was distributed into. But what, what would take place later is that Lycomachus would overtake Cassander. So he would, be, he would take over him and his land and reduce it to three. But then still later what would happen, Seleucus then would overtake Lycomachus. And so what happens is what was four divisions of land and four generals came down just to two, Seleucus and Ptolemy. And so just reason here for a moment. When you look at the scriptures and it speaks that the king of the south is going to be strong and the south is Ptolemy right here. He's the south, all right, which happens to represent Egypt all right he's the king of the south the king of the south shall be strong and one of Alexander's princes well all of these were his princes but there's going to be another one that's going to be strong well it ends up being Seleucus right here who represents the north which uh, uh, the landmark that we look at for the north there is Syria is Syria so so there's going to be two of them that's going to be strong but he the north Syria is going to be stronger and have greater power than the south. And here's the reasoning. Because he has all three divisions of the land that was first divvied up. And so this is not always true, but more people usually means more power. And so by landmass for sure, there is more dominion and there is more power. He's greater if you're talking about landmass. So the north then from that standpoint is greater or stronger than the south, those that are down there at Egypt. And so that all unfolds. Now we get into the name game, ladies and gentlemen. That's happened. So whenever we start talking about the kings of the north, we're talking about the kings that, operate, that, that, that uh, operated in that region of Syria and the northern kingdom that is north of Israel. 
Whenever we talk about the south, we're talking about that of Egypt, that which is south of Israel. They all derive their place of origin is from right here. Those four dwindling down to two, all right, of Alexander's kingdom, the Greece kingdom. Then we get into this. Should we stop and have just one more word of prayer right now? <laughs> Amen. We're going to go, we'll, we'll hit these verses, folks, and I'll try to insert names whenever I get to it and get through it, to insert names to help our understanding, okay? But what this is is a bunch of history that was prophecy in the Bible. All right, and it's verse by verse. And I'll, tr I'll try to help to the best of my ability. I got to go on. We got places to go. It's looking like three lessons here real soon. Daniel chapter number 11 and verse number 6 and in the end of years, they shall join themselves together. It's speaking about this north and south fractions here, these north and south opponents. They're going to join themselves together. Now, they still might not be under the old Seleucus and the old Ptolemy type things, but eventually they're going to join themselves together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she, that is the king's daughter, shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall he stand, speaking of the king, excuse me, of the north, nor his arm, but she, that is the king's daughter, shall be given up, and they that brought her, and he that begat her, her father, and he that strengthened her in these times. Now just, you, you're just going to have to let me be slow if I got to, all right, and let me stumble over my words if I need to, and let's just take our time here. The king of the south, from the beginning, was Ptolemy that we've seen on the other side. The king of the north that we've seen from the beginning on the other side was Seleucus. Well, as time would go on, these people can't live forever, so they're going to die. And usually it is a son that would rise up in their stead to be the next king. Well, the king of the south has a son by the name of Ptolemy Philadelphus. All right, he has a son named that. Seleucus has a son, Antiochus Soter. And then the third in command, he had another son. Another, this guy had a son. And his son's name was Antiochus Theos. Well, during this time frame of verse number six are these two reigning individuals. Antiochus Theos is now over the north. Ptolemy Philadelphus is over the south. And what happens right here is that they, they have, they, they all, and it's amazing because they have, these two kingdoms have their own impact upon Israel because Israel's smack dab between the wars. They're right in between. And so there's things that are going on. Whenever we look at the scriptures, uh, there's influence of Babylon, there's influence of Medo-Persia, there's influence of Greece, amen, coming upon Israel all the time. And we can see that even modern day and New Testament scripture. But nevertheless, whenever we come to Ptolemy Philadelphus of the South, the Bible states here in our scripture that that king's daughter, he had a daughter. This is the little arrow right here. Ptolemy Philadelphus had a daughter. Her name was Berenice. Berenice. And he gave his daughter Berenice to marry the king of the north at that time. Now here is the quandary. Antiochus Theos, Antiochus Theos already had a wife by the name of Laodis. And in order to marry Berenice, guess what he had to do to Laodis? Yeah, Laodice. He didn't kill her, he divorced her. He divorced Laodis in order to marry Berenice because what is he trying to do in this, what the Bible called an agreement, it was a marriage, a marriage agreement. <laughs> in this agreement is that they're trying to get some sort of peace that they haven't had between the armies of the north and the armies of the south. So there's no better way to do that than let's strike up a marriage because you gotta love who the other family members you marry, right? <laughs> and so he, he gets rid of his wife, Laodice, gets rid of his wife and marries Berenice, the daughter of Ptolemy Philadelphus. And so it seems like everything will be well. However, as time would go, old daddy over here of Berenice, who is now the wife of Antiochus Theos, Daddy dies. And Antiochus starts to think dad's not alive. So why honor this marriage that I have with his daughter anymore? Who's going to know the difference? And so he now puts Berenice to the side. And he says, Laodice, come on back, honey. Come on back home. 
well, don't you know that Oleodice is a little upset because of the way that she's been treated? That, you know, you're going to go marry another woman, another girl, and put me on ice to chill until you want me to come back into your life? And so Laodice is a little bit upset, and as a result of being upset, guess what happens? She takes care of business. She has better niece out of here, dead. She takes care of this husband that asked her to come back in the kingdom, took care of him. Some are murder, some are poisoning. She got rid of both of those people. As a matter of fact, the children that that Antiochus and Berenice had between them, she took care of them too. I don't either want to see y'all's faces. I don't want to see what came from y'all. And we're talking about a lady that is greatly embittered, but rightfully so, I would say. She's greatly embittered. So whenever we understand that, that this man died, she came back on the scene, she took out Berenice and Antiochus, we look at verse number six again then. Because in the, and I'm going to fill in the blanks, in the end of the years they shall join themselves together, that's the north and the south, for the king's daughter, Berenice, all right, of the south, shall come to the king of the north, Antiochus Theos, to make an agreement, which was their marriage, but she, Berenice, that is, shall not retain the power of the arm. In other words, she's not, she's not going to be standing by his side always. Neither shall Antiochus Theos stand. He's not going to live. <laughs> Nor his arm, speaking of their seed that these two had among them, they're not going to be there. But she, Berenice, I like saying that, shall be given up. Because it's not just Bernice, it's Berenice. And you've got to roll that R and it's just awesome. Shall give up. <laughs> Berenice shall be given up. She's going to be taken off. She's going to be murdered. And they that brought her, in other words, the servants and the maids that attend the Berenice, they're going to be taken out as well. And he that begat her, in other words, Philadelphus here, yeah, he died. He passed off of life by a natural means. He's not going to be there either. But he, Antiochus Theos, who strengthened her in those times, strengthened Berenice, strengthened her in those times whenever he was a wife, he's going to be done away with as well. So see, if you read that and had no historical context, you would have the slightest idea of trying to, you're not going to find another passage in the Bible to cross-reference with this and get the answer. You've got to know history. You've got to know history. I'm trying to make this as fun as possible with the old menace Leo, Leodis. Amen. And so she's not happy. So whenever all of their children, Berenice and Antiochus's, are gone, guess what? There's still children that remain from Antiochus and Laodice that are left. And so rather than one of those sons, because they're dead now, coming up over here in the northern kingdom, guess who comes up? A son of Laodice and Antiochus. It's Antiochus Callinicus that comes then into the throne room. So she set the stage that nobody was going to get the throne except a boy that was born from her womb. And that brings us to verse number seven. If we continue, continue. The Bible says, but out of a branch of her, this is speaking about Berenice, but out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his father's estate. In other words, her daddy's dead, but there's going to be somebody out of her roots that stem from her family lineage, from her dad. In other words, Berenice was the daughter of Philadelphus, but he also had a son, Ptolemy Yergetes. All right? He had a son. And what it's saying is there's going to be one that's going to come up in his father's stead, and that person that comes up in her father's stead is going to be her brother. Her brother is going to rise in her father's stead, which shall come, look now, he, her brother, comes with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north because they're a little unhappy what happened to their family, all right? So they're going to come now back against so this, this north and south fighting again. They're going to come back against the king of the north, who which is now the son of Laodice, Antiochus, Callinicus, amen, is now the king there, and shall deal against them and shall prevail, and shall also carry captives into Egypt their gods with their princes and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold, and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. In other words, oh, oh, told me, 
Your Jesus, I got to pause there and look at that. Your Jesus is going to continue more years. He's going to outlive Antiochus Callinicus. He's going to outlive him. And so the story goes. So Bernice had a brother. Her brother comes into her father's throne room. He goes back to the kings of the north with Callinicus, and he's going to avenge uh, the blood of his, his sister, uh, their children that she had had, she, he's going to avenge that blood by going and conquering Syria and he's going to return to Egypt. The Bible says he does with silver and gold and some of their gods. Some of these things have been previously plundered and he's going to take them back to his land. And uh, your jeets does last longer than Callinicus. History tells us that Callinicus fell off a horse and died. What a way to die, isn't it? Amen. He fell off a horse and died. And about four years later, your jeets uh, uh, went on to, I don't know if he wanted to be at the Lord. That's just common saying, but he just died. All right. I don't know if he wanted to be at the Lord, but he, he died. So he did outlive Callinicus. Just look, folks. Now, we see, this is just history. Look how detailed history is right here. Jer- I mean, Daniel's prophesying this by the word of the Lord. And it's not missing a thing in the historical record. That should cause me to stand back and say, God does know. Wow, awesome, mighty God. And verse number nine just basically tells us and basically lets us know that your, your, your jeets never returned to Syria again after this. He never returned again to Syria. He went and did his business and he did not return. Verse number 10, the Bible says, and I'll just read through this and we'll break it down. But his sons, well, I'll try to break it down along the way. His sons. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Antiochus Callinicus. His sons shall be stirred up. Why are they stirred up? Because the king of the south came and fought against the king of the north. It's a constant conflict. His sons are stirred up and they're going to assemble a great force. One shall certainly come. One of the two sons shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his fortress. And the king of the south, now, Yurjit ended up dying. His son, then as just natural flow of life happens, he dies, so his son comes in his stead. Ptolemy, Philopater, all right, hallelujah. Uh, Ptolemy, Philopater, then comes in his stead. So he's the king of the south right now during this passage of scripture. He shall be moved with choler and shall come forth and fight with him, even the king of the north. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. And when he hath taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up, and he shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. So, the two sons of Antiochus Callinicus come into play. They are unhappy because your jeets came and fought against their daddy. So these two sons are unhappy. There's two, the Bible that says. But only one certainly comes because the other son and I don't have him named here the other son just after a few short years died he's he's the weaker son he's the younger son he dies and he's off the scene and so the older the stronger one Antiochus Magnus or Antiochus the great sometimes spoken of he comes on the scene he's strong he's mighty and he's going to go over to the south to Egypt and he's going to cause some havoc and so the king of the south whenever Antiochus Magnus goes over there is told me Philopater, he is the king at the time. Amen. And so as he's coming against this, this, this king of the south, old Philopater is getting a little bit um, uh, upset. And so he comes out and he fights against old Magnus right here. He fights against him. And the Bible says in verse 11 that Magnus set forth, he, Magnus set forth a great multitude. Magnus had an army of 75,000 troops. Amen, that he went against Philopater with. But the Bible says that the multitude shall be given to his hand. Not Magnus's hand, but Philopater's hand. In other words, he had a large army. He thought he was going to be victorious, but come to find out, instead of being victorious, he was the loser. Philopater took control of that army. It was given unto his hand. That's just as history bears out. Verse number 12, and when he, Philopater, 
have taken away the multitude because they were given to his hand. He overtook him. His heart shall be lifted up and he shall cast down many ten thousands. In other words, money. He's really going to go to war. And then after he's done that, he's really going to go to war. But he did not finish his war because he had done so much fighting against the 75,000 troops that you, anybody of us in the army would be tired and a little washed out. And it says, but he shall not be strengthened in it. And what that means is, and history bears it out, that Philopater did not go back over to Syria and do any more wars even though he was very successful in that war you know he just fought one and said okay that's well enough we'll just go on so he didn't go on and fight any more wars all right he won and he was just satisfied with his one win and he went no further all right do you, do you see all the names there in verses 10 through 12 Philippator and Magnus are the main characters verse number 13 and I still got time and it's hot Hallelujah. Someone say amen. Still got just a little bit of history here. You're noticing though, we got a little another intermarriage going on here later. <laughs> verse, number, verse number 13, the Bible says, and I'll read through it. Let me read through a few verses. I'll try to be quick. For the king of the north, which right now at this time is Antiochus Magnus, the one that had 75,000 troops. He's the king of the north shall return he's been whipped and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former so he's going back having been whipped and he's regathering some troops he's getting a bigger army together than the former and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army with much riches and in those times there shall stand up against the king of the south now what's happened folks again philopater from my other little section of verses he's died so now his son has come into his position Ptolemy Epiphanes. You want to talk about names because later we get this Antiochus Epiphanes. You talk, you know, this, yeah. You really got to keep track of this stuff. So Ptolemy Epiphanes during this period is now the king of the south because his dad has died. So in, the time, in those times there shall, in verse number 14, shall many stand up against the king of the south, which at that time is Ptolemy Epiphanes. Also the robbers of thy people also the robbers of thy people what that is referring to oh magnus he was getting a bigger army trying to get more involved well he made a call to the jews to get involved in this war in this battle well they're called the robbers of the people because a true orthodox blood jew would not get himself involved in such a thing but those that had already been swayed by the medo-persian life the babylonian life the grecian life those that we might call apostates from Jews, the robbers of the people are those that went against what their true bloodline would have done. So they're the robbers of their people, the robbers of the Jews. They joined up with Magnus to go against the king of the south. The Bible says, shall exalt themselves to establish the vision. Now consider this. These old heretic Jews are thinking they're going to establish the vision by getting involved in this battle. What's the vision they're looking to solidify? They're fixing to get Jerusalem and Israel her independence. They think if we go to war in this, we'll the sooner get the vision come about, we'll get our independence. But you know what the Bible plainly tells us there in that verse? It predicts they shall fail. And they did. It did not happen. The Jews, those apostate Jews, and those that came against Epiphanes there of the south, told me Epiphanes, they failed. So the king of the north of Syria, we're looking at Antiochus Magnus, the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities. The arms of the south, that is of Egypt, shall not withstand. Neither his chosen people. Neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will. None shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land. And the glorious land is Philistine. The glorious land is Israel, which by his hand shall be consumed, which literally interpreted by his hand shall be, or, or basically that the power shall be in his hand. Verse 17, he, Antiochus Magnus, the one that is of Syria, the one that is of North, shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom, and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. And he shall give him, Ptolemy Epiphanes of the south of Egypt. Look, here we go again. Magnus is going to give Epiphanes his daughter 
who was Cleopatra, and it's not the Cleopatra they make movies about, but Cleopatra, all right, going to give him his daughter Cleopatra to Epiphanes. Look now, he's given his daughter to the king of the south, and the Bible says corrupting her. The her is not corrupting his daughter. The her is the country of Egypt. He's giving his daughter to the king of the south to corrupt Egypt because he's thinking my daughter is going to be loyal, more loyal to me. She can get some intel. She's going to be more loyal to me than she will her husband. She's of my loins, you know. She's going to be more honorable toward me. But notice what the Bible says. But she, Cleopatra, shall not stand on his side. Whose side? Her daddy's side, her father's side, neither, neither be before him. So Magnus, he gets together some apostate Jews. He, makes, he gets even uh, uh, Philip Third of Macedon, which is the Grecian area. He gets them together. He seeks for their help. They go down uh, to Egypt, and, and he really took Egypt by force along with Palestine, along with, which Palestine is Israel. But to maintain that control that he got, to maintain it. He got it, but now he wants to maintain it. To keep the control he got, that's the reason why he gives Cleopatra away. He thinks, I can maintain control. That's right. If I can just give my daughter away because she'll be loyal to me and not to her new husband. But she did not stand by her daddy like he thought. And she stood by her husband, the king of the south, Ptolemy Epiphanes. And so it all shook down from there. Verse number 18. You guys, I got 59 seconds. And we'll get through this, really, we will. Not in 59 seconds, but we'll get through it. Daniel 11 and verse 18. We won't go any further past verse 20. <clears throat> Here's the rest of the historical, prophetic, if you will, story. And after this, after all this happened, he, Antiochus Magnus, all right, he turned his face into the isles, which was Greece. The isles of the Aegean Sea is Greece. They, they lie right there. He turned his face toward Greece, and he took many. But a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to seize. In other words, he was turned to, he turned to the isles, he turned to Greece there in the Aegean Sea. He, has, he couldn't do anything more about this Egyptian thing, so we're going to try conquer, so we'll go over here in Greece and try to throw our weight around. But he made a bad decision because Greece was allied with Rome. Greece was allied with Rome. And the Bible says, without his own reproach, he shall cause it to turn upon him. He thought he was going to take Greece, but Greece had a big brother called Rome that they were in allies with. And you know what happened? What he thought he could took really came back upon him because whenever he did not get Greece because big brother Rome said something about it, Rome says, now, uh, Magnus, said, we want you to pay tribute to us. We want you to pay us money. You're going to pay tribute. So it was to his own reproach, the Bible says. And verse number 19, then he, Antiochus Magnus, shall turn his face. So that didn't work out. He turns his face toward the fort of his own land. But the Bible says, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. All right? And we'll describe that here just a little bit later. Verse 20, then shall stand up in his estate. So basically, Magnus is off the scene. He's died or has been slain somehow. Now he needs somebody to stand up in his estate, which is his son, Seleucius Philopater. Philopater, see, both sides, I'm telling you. Seleucius Philopater, his, his son comes up, and he shall stand up in his, father's, in his father's estate, a razor, this guy is a razor, of taxes. Why? Because big brother Rome of Greece told Magnus, you're going to have to pay tribute. And really, the reason why Magnus lost his life is because after that all happened, when he was going on his way back home, they went by to plunder a temple. Why? So they could pay their tribute. And whenever he did that, he was slain by some people as a result of trying to plunder the temple. And so they still got this tax problem. So his son Seleucius thinks the only way to just somehow do away with this tax problem is that we'll raise the taxes. If we got to pay taxes, we'll raise the taxes of our people. And then we'll be able to pay Rome what Rome needs. Well, his son has this grand idea. He's the raiser of taxes. He wants to pay Rome. And so I guess he raised taxes, but he also sent a fellow out by the name of Heliodorus. He says, Helio, go down to Jerusalem and plunder the temple. 
And I don't know the whole story, and it's kind of vague right here, the whole story. But Heliodorus went down to plunder the temple at Jerusalem. And shortly thereafter, we find old Seleucus Philopater is dead. Many surmise that Heliodorus in some way poisoned uh, 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 Seleucus Philopater before he ever left to go to the temple for whatever reason is really unknown because the Bible says that after Philopater rises in the stead of his father Magnus that within a few days and it was that he would be destroyed and it wasn't by a battle that he was gauged in and nor was it necessarily some anger that was wrought perhaps from Heliodorus and so that ladies and gentlemen Bernice is the ebb and flow of the battle of the north and the battle of the south that all originated from Alexander the Great and his four top generals that dwindled down to two. Now, we're not done with this north and south stuff because next week we're going to go to Antiochus Epiphanes, which is the most horrid man that ever served over here on this northern kingdom side. That is a prefiguring of the Antichrist, which is to, which is to come. And before chapter 11 gets out, we'll get to the end time of that time when the Antichrist should come because there's still a lot of north and south conflict and things that happen. Supposedly that will take place whenever he shows up upon the world in the future. Now, I could have said and cut this real short and said there was a lot of fighting between verses 5 to verses 20. But again, you would read, always read chapter 11 not having the slightest idea what was going on. So you can't say that I haven't tried to divulge the full counsel of God in this setting of Scripture. And they were written for our examples, for our understanding. I mean, the Bible says, and what I understand from this is this, God is right on. God is right on. God is right. If he says something's going to happen, take it to the bank, deposit it. It's said, done, and over. It's going to happen just as he said it would happen. Amen? we got through that hallelujah that's a lot of history stay with me here this evening. thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day